Want to learn what sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps? Do you want to learn how LiveFlow saves time for hundreds of accountants and bookkeepers? Want to learn how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firm? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LiveFlow, later in the episode. I did this two weeks ago with ChatGPT. I, for my own firm personally, had to draft up a, an accountable plan. And I was like, I'm sure I can find a template somewhere. But then I was like, I'm sure ChatGPT will give me a template. And so I, you know, typed up S Corp accountable plan for this company based on IRS guidelines. And that thing spit it out in 10 seconds and I was done. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. And we are coming to you live from the OnPay Recording Studio. And this week, our guest is Erica Goody, CPA. Erica, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So, Erica, awesome. are you in, in the office? Are you on vacation? Because you just finished the big tax deadline. Was that yesterday, <laughs> I, uh, I, my business does not have tax-heavy work, so... I look this good all the time because I'm not overworked. And yeah, I'm, I always feel, look at this. You just asked, I have a shirt that says always on vacation. Oh, I love it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in my office, but, uh, I don't normally work on Fridays. So this is, this is extra special for me. So you said you don't really do tax. What do you do? I don't really do tax. So I run a boutique accounting and fractional CFO firm supporting coaches and consultants everything from bookkeeping to fractional virtual CFO work. Nice. And I know you got a couple of kiddos too. Yeah, yeah. We have an I'm married to another CPA. Also doesn't do tax. So, um my my kids are very are very quick to be like, uh, "Not all CPAs do tax." Cuz I know we say that all the time. So, they're uh, <laughs> they're very Trainer. aware of they that. They get it. They get it. We start them young. They're 11 and 7 and uh yeah. Nice. They're they're good kiddos. Did you find it difficult, you know, as a CPA balancing motherhood and being a CPA? Yeah, only every day. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I started my career in Big Four. Actually, that's where I met my husband. We both started at KPMG. And then we left as soon as we both made senior. That was not a not a long-term lifestyle for us. And so I went into corporate. I actually worked at Walgreens headquarters for the rest of my corporate career. And that's where we started having kids, not on site um, at, you know, but uh, <laughs> we, we started uh, having kids when I was in corporate finance and it was just, it was, it's difficult. Anybody listening to this who juggles motherhood and kids and careers and dragging them behind you as you're running through life knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I I, I try to do 50-50 with my wife, right? She works, we both work, and like, I, I, I'll admit, like, I don't get even close to 50%. Like, I don't know how she does it. It's crazy. Like, especially all the medical appointments, because it's not like you can split that up, right? That's really hard to split yeah. up. Somebody's got to take point on that, and she does all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Welcome to everybody who has joined us in the live stream. We've got Jeff, we've got Heather and Trinity. Heather says, yay, good to see Erica on the show. Great oh, to... Heather and I hung out at your uh, at your podcast party in Vegas. Oh, yeah, at QuickBooks Connect. That was so much yeah. fun. The one where I, I missed the photo op with you. You did. Yes, oh. that's fine. Well, there's always this year, right? Yeah. We're going to do it again at some point, right, David? 
I think so. We 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 are in the early phases of we're going to be coming up on our millionth download, which would be a good reason to have a party. So I'm trying to figure something out. So stay tuned. The million downloads party. Jacob. That's incredible. Hey, good Jacob. You guys. We got Michael as well. Oh, great. This is great. This is such a change from last Friday because we're after the Everybody's tax working deadline last now. Friday. Right? Everybody was working. <laughs> now we've got folks tuning in. I hope you're on vacation. Well, I know actually a, a lot of the joke is that accountants take vacations right after tax day. They're gone, right? But that actually doesn't really happen. Most people have like cleanup to do. I never did. Like I, I was never able to, to just check out. So, but that still feels like a vacation. I guess it still feels like one. Even if you're in the office, you're like, ah, nobody's <laughs> calling me. Right? I, I saw, um, it, it might have been big for accountants tweets. I don't know. Or one of those tax memes, you know, the sarcastic Twitter handles. And they had this cartoon. It was like. A guy. It was the same photo of a guy sitting at his desk, and then the other photo was was a drawing, and he's also sitting in a chair on the beach, and had like a thought bubble. As soon as it's his desk, he's looking very distressed because he has to work, and he's in these. The thought bubble is the beach, and then when he's in the beach, he's still distressed because the thought bubble is all that crap that's stacked on his desk still. Yeah, (laughs) that's how accountants vacation. So some people think I'm crazy, but my favorite way to vacation is I bring my laptop, and I do like an hour or two of work every morning, with my breakfast. And then my inbox is clear. I triage everything, right? I, I have this confidence of knowing like at 10 a.m. when I go out and do stuff, I'm free and clear. I don't have to think about it piling up. What do you think about that, Erica? Um, I Yeah, I always think it's a conundrum. I think that like at least in my corporate days, we would, you'd like kill yourself up until the point of going on vacation so that you could go on vacation and then come back. And, you know, I was always very legalistic, like you're not going to work on vacation. And then you come back to a disaster. So like you left a disaster, you come back to a disaster. It always made it feel like, is this vacation really worth it? Yeah. I'm going on my first two week vacation ever in my professional life. I mean, we're talking in 20 years, I've never taken more than a week off at once and I'm going to do it in three weeks. And it's because, well, I guess there's some work, there's some work in it because David and I and the Cloud Accounting Podcast are going to ExpensaCon in Italy. Ooh. Yes, and we will be doing some sort of social media stuff while we're there. We're trying to figure out what that will be. We're going to be talking to everybody else there, making some podcast episodes. Uh, and I'm doing a presentation on how artificial intelligence will save accounting because I don't believe that it will take all our jobs. As we talk about on the show all the time, there are like two jobs for every accountant. So we need all the help we can get. So if it can automate half the work, that's great. So this is a call to everyone listening. If you are working on cool AI stuff at your software company for accountants, if you are a practitioner using AI in your practice already, I want to know what you're doing. I want to have like real world examples to share with the attendees there. And I will record these and actually share them with the world as well. So it's not just these hundred people in Italy. They get to hear about it. So reach out to me, Blake at blakeoliver.com. Let me know what you're doing with it. I'd love to hear. And of course, I've got AI to talk about this week, David. What's on the top of your list? Maybe you could even survey our live attendees, but I want to talk about a, a, a bookkeeping thing with FTX and then some of the lawsuits have started and I wanted to, with the celebrities. And I wanted to touch on that a little bit. The uh, FTX endorsed celebrities? Yes. Ah, uh, yes. But who was, who was doing that? So it was a lot. It was all the, the biggest people, right? It's Tom Brady and Shaquille O'Neal. But the, what's interesting about this was Shaquille O'Neal. He got served this week, 
right? So there's this big law class action happening. But the other big celebrity that was related to this that was in the news was Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was promoting crypto? No, Taylor Swift is the only celebrity that said, aren't these uh, unregulated securities? (laughs) And she said no to $100 million sponsorship of her tour from FTX. Oh, that's awesome. She's the only celebrity they could find any records of that questioned FTX. I love that. And she said no. She she's she she really keeps leveling up her genius status, right? And all the you can't not love her. She's, a, she's gonna end up like like Oprah someday, right? Like she'll just uh-huh. be everything to everyone. She's on that path. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. So so we could this one question really to FTX, and we can get off of it. Is so Eric, you're here, and then any of you in the chat who want to tar- partake in this. What is the most amount of transactions you've ever had in your Ask My Accountant account inside of QuickBooks from a client? Zero. I don't let them touch it. That's the correct <laughs> answer. In the chat room, any of you have clients that put things in the Ask My Accountant account? So what I would do, and the, I mean, this was lazy, right, is I would just, I would book all the stuff I didn't know into that account for myself and then send them a report every month or whatever and say, please, you know, Tell me what these are for. Excel. Oh, sheet, I right? ask them before I send any. Like that's part of our close process. Is you've got to tell me before it even leaves the bank feed. Like it doesn't leave the bank feed unless I know where it's going. Well, this but was it's a useful tool. And I remember when I was yeah. in tech support, you would tell people to create an account like this if they didn't know where to put it, and they'd create that. And then I mean, I've used it myself. Yeah. Almost like a place to put something till I figure it out later. I get it. Yeah. Well. Taking this back to FTX, so remember the whole, they were on QuickBooks. They had 80,000 transactions in the Ask My Accountant account. Was, 80, it, was it just 000. revenue minus Ask My Accountant, accountant equals profit? <laughs> that was their p 80,000. And, well, and then the, so there's more things coming out of the investigation and what are these things, which is even crazier. They, I know what you're going to say, David. They just lose assets. Yeah. I'm sorry? Yeah. A uh, scam bankman fraud was saying that... Uh, they, they would just lose track of $50 million and find it. And such is life, he says. Such yeah. is life, which could be the podcast episode title, maybe. Such I think is life. What's the, $50 million among friends? Yeah, right. I, I feel like the problem with FTX, this was one of the quotes in the article, is it, it's not that they didn't have, it's not that they had a problem with internal, internal controls. It's that they had no internal controls. Like They didn't even have accountants working there, as far as we know. right? Who was running the QuickBooks file? Nobody. They, they were going to hire somebody one day. They were just feeding <laughs> all the transactions that's your very in. first day. There's 80,000 Ask My Accountant transactions to deal with. Can you with. imagine getting that, like, uh, that, that inquiry on your website, Erica? <laughs> you know, we run a small cryptocurrency exchange. We just need a quick cleanup job. Should be easy. We've got all the transactions feeding into QuickBooks. Everything the only great way to handle that there. is would be to use one of the tools like Uncat or uh, Client Hub or um, Keeper, where it sends them emails about the uncategorized transactions and send it, send them eighty thousand emails. <laughs> That'd be the best way to handle that. Heather says, "I've seen clients who just categorized everything as retained earnings when I started with a consultation with them." Yeah, that's that's when you don't understand what retained earnings is. It's like innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, retained earnings until told otherwise. <laughs> Trinity says, "Just three red flags." Yes, that's a big red flag. <laughs> I mean, there were lots of red flags about FTX that everybody ignored. So I think the whole QuickBooks thing is silly. Just my, my personal take. Well, um, David, is that it for FTX? Yeah, yeah, we don't have okay. to talk about FTX so anymore. I also want to talk about the EY breakup. Even though I said nobody cares, or at least I don't care <laughs> last week, something came up that made me think it's pretty funny. 
Um, and I also want to talk about this bit on the All In podcast that I heard. The All In podcast is the number one tech podcast in the world. And I was listening to one of their episodes from January, and I want to play this clip for you because they're talking about the applications of ChatGPT. And this was back in January, okay? And so this is uh, Chamath, and he's talking about what he thinks AI should be used for. Somebody should do it in accounting. Somebody should learn all of gap accounting, which is pretty simple because it's published, FASB, all of this nonsensical accounting rules, and give you a 100% guarantee of no malfeasance. So, for example, you guys saw this <laughs> Brazilian company. You want AI accounting. That's your, yeah, that's well, your look at this company. Logis, yeah. AI like, diligence. Look at this company, Americanas in Brazil, which just torched $20 billion of enterprise value. Why? Because these guys were using Excel to do a bunch of complicated capitalization and cost accounting, made two or three years of mistakes. It added up to two or three billion dollars, and they're basically going to file bankruptcy in the next few days. That's completely avoidable human error that should never happen. And an AI would be perfect for that. Like this is not super controversial to just follow gap accounting. Right. Yeah, I mean, we I don't talked know if you about need the AI. I don't know if you need AI for that. I think you just need software. Like a database would be good. But no, the, the problem is the database exists today. Like everybody sits on top of Oracle GL or Workday. It doesn't prevent these errors. So my point is, you got to get humans out of the system, and the AI should be the accountant. The AI knows the rules, generates the PL, and says this is it. And by the way, that's way better risk management for the CEO and the CFO because, as you guys know, if you're the CEO of a public company. You have to sign your signature that these things are legitimate. And how do you know? Right? I like would it's... way better know that a computer did it. Like an open AI algorithm tells me, Chamath, this PL is perfect, than some dude I don't know at Ernst & Young. Okay. So that was Chamath Palhapitiya. And uh, yeah, Erica, I saw you putting your hand over your face as that <laughs> clip was playing. Would you like to explain... What's going through your head? Yeah, actually, I had a, a flashback to sitting in, you know, in a client office and everybody arguing about sale leaseback accounting. But it's, I mean, I guess we could have just had the computer decide because it, it's not interpretive at all. Um, it's just like, it's one of those things where, like, yes, there's guidance. There's, there are rules written. Obviously, we know that. And then... This is where the accountants come in over the AI is that every situation gets assessed differently, right? You you have to take that guidance and be like, does that make sense here? It should. If it doesn't, well, then we have to figure out why it doesn't make sense because we don't want to miss, you know, misconstrue what's actually happening. And this is why we have, you know, going up to partner review. And then once you're at partner review, the partner's like, I'm not an expert in this. Let's go to the national office of the person who spends all day researching sale leaseback accounting. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, yes, it would be great if AI could just give you the perfect answer for every single company in the United States. So that would be great. It sounds like what you're saying is the AI would miss the context of the particular situation, right? You can't just let an AI loose and have it make financial statements. But right. they seem to think, they seem to think that you could feed it Gap, you could feed it, you know, FASB, you could feed it all that, and it would do it. And these are the these are the most influential tech VCs in the world right now. So here, so, so here's a perfect example of why this wouldn't work. Sorry, you 
I didn't know I was going to get so hot button on here. <laughs> oh, no, please. That's what this is all <laughs> you about. You struck a chord. So I won't, I won't call out the client, but when I was in audit, there was a client They had just exactly what they were talking about, a whole list of fixed assets that were being capitalized and depreciated, as there are in a manufacturing company. And, you know, little second year auditor Erica comes in and like literally like we're talking sheet to site visit. And I'm like walking through the plant, like show, you know, show me where this thing is. I'm like, where is this piece of, you know, $2 million equipment? And they're like, oh, yeah, we got rid of that three years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, well, where is it? And he's like, I think it's in that back corner. I'm like, that thing that's really just a bookshelf now and full of dust that's not being used. He's like, yeah, that's it. And I was like, oh. Why is it still being depreciated at its normal rate? You know, it's like things like that where like, can the AI make the spreadsheet? Absolutely. Can the AI walk into the plant and make sure that that thing is still there and in use? No. Yeah. It can't ask the questions. No. That's what it can't do. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Lightflow. Have you ever exported a QuickBooks online report to a Google Sheet, spent time customizing the sheet, invited others to collaborate, then discovered the QuickBooks data has changed, forcing you to restart the entire process over again? An app has solved this problem, LiveFlow. LiveFlow connects QuickBooks Online directly to Google Sheets in Excel, allowing you to have spreadsheets that automatically update with the most recent QuickBooks data. Thousands of accountants and bookkeepers and finance teams are using LiveFlow today to create automatically updating budget versus actuals, dashboards, and consolidated reports. Yes, consolidated reports. You can connect one spreadsheet to multiple QuickBooks online companies to see the numbers updated in real time. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Yeah, so I saw too. It's it's good that you brought this up, Blake, because people are trying to figure this out if it's going to happen or not. And so there was two uh, experiments, let's call them, this week that I saw on articles about. One is from the American Accounting Association. They uh, evaluated ChatGPT uh, by feeding it in twenty five thousand assessment questions, accounting related questions, from one hundred eighty seven institutions around the world, cross referencing the results. And essentially, students who take the exam, sc- or these, then they give them a test, right? They gave ChatGPT a test. Students mm-hmm. are getting 76.7%, and G- ChatGPT only got 47.4%. Do you know which test. version they were using? Was it the um, three or four? Because there's a I humongous difference. I think this was difference. on the, the version four. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It was, it was on version but, four. And, but what, they, what the interesting thing, it did much better on audit questions. And it does really good on true-false questions. So this goes like yeah. what Erica says. If it's very black and white, it might be easy, but you know you can't walk on the planet. You can't make a judgment from that. And then there was a second article in Going Concern where there's a tax – I was a little confused, but there's a – because there's two Keeper companies. There's a Keeper that sponsored the podcast, which is like firm management. Apparently, there's another app called Keeper that's for taxes and mm-hmm. tax calculations. And what they did is they uploaded all the 2023 updates on top of GPT-4. And then they made it like a bot and just let people try to stump it. And they basically the conclusion with that is it's hitting about you know eighty four percent of the time it's correct based on 
people giving it a question that they already know the answer to and then saying, yep, it was correct or not correct. And they had a CPA go- So it's go, still a little ways off. That last 10% right. is going to be very hard to get correct. Well, they had a CPA go and, and evaluate the responses, right? And that's how they got that number, 84%. Well, uh, an army of CPAs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah one of the, uh, an army, you know, <laughs> a, a handful or so. <laughs> the army doesn't have any CPAs. That's why they can't pass an audit, right? They're all in the FBI. They're all in the FBI. They're all getting but, hired like, by the IRS. But this is where it's going to be helpful, right? So th- by evaluating the 215 answers, the things it did really good, knowing which tax forms to apply to the situation. So that saves you time, right? Yeah. You have a client, you give it the situation, and it goes and pulls all the forms you're going to need for that engagement. That's where the, like this AI is going to be super helpful to you, right? Versus so, just like pulling the forms and then filling them all out correctly. Uh, I don't know about that. So there's one thing specifically that I think AI will do really well and put a, put those people out of work or or give them make them way more productive let's say and that is the all these people at the big four who their entire job is understanding revenue recognition or understanding what was that thing you said erica the leaseback sale leaseback sale leaseback rules right and people get really high up or they not high up they get really deep down in understanding these hyper specific you know rules and the way i see that job is you know, it's, it's like I ingest all of this guidance. I ingest all of these rules. And then I see a particular situation from a client and I apply those rules. And I feel like ChatGPT will do that really, really well. Already, if you go into ChatGPT and you say, I have a revenue recognition question, you can give it the facts and it will give you an answer as to, you know, what you should do. And I think that's like that, that kind of like very apply the rules situation when it comes to gap, when it comes to tax. The AI is going to be able to do that really, really well and give people really good res- really good answers that are probably better than what most humans could provide in terms of their clarity. I've got you know, a- that's an interesting... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, please. Well, I just saw a LinkedIn post from, I think, Jason Stats this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he he had this idea, I don't know if you guys saw this, about your having your team be able to leverage AI to pick your brain and basically uploading so much of your company's documentation, so much of your like written thought or verbalized thought and podcasts and putting it in somewhere and have, and being able to let people basically research all of that, all of that information. What I think in that same context is if you loaded all the annual reports that are posted to SEC gov, and then you were able to, do something like sale leaseback accounting and could you spit out all the companies that treat sale leaseback accounting like this and all the companies that treat it like this and all the companies that treat it like this and then i can see like oh well you know the mcdonald's and the starbucks and that of the world treat it like this and the mm-hmm. i don't know more manufacturing that they have very fewer plants treat it like this and how does that compare to what my clients doing yeah. I, and That'd then, be an interesting research tool. Well, and then it could look at all of the footnotes for that particular issue you're asking it about and draft it for you because mm-hmm. they're not that different, are they? A lot of times it's a boilerplate that gets put into these financial statements. And as David learned from our investigation of Silicon Valley Bank, 180 pages of the 181 pages of financial statements are footnotes. Right, that could automate a ton of work. I, how many how many accountants are employed in the United States and public companies just writing footnotes all day long that nobody reads? Right, 
because we learned with SVB that nobody reads the footnotes either. So I, I think that could free us up to do a lot of you know more valuable work. I like the idea of like it being your an interface from your employees to less your brain or your knowledge, but like your wiki, right? Everybody has you know like like these Notion products, right? You have Notion. We talked about this last week, right? Yeah. Microsoft SharePoint, and it's so hard to find things in these things. And you're right. So if that was on the back end of a Chat GPT type interface where you could just, hey, I'm trying to work on this. It's like, oh, great. You need this, 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 and this. And I don't mm-hmm. have to, because it's very hard to find things in these repositories. Once they're in there, they're gone forever. Yeah. Yeah. Searching through company databases, wikis, finding that information, definitely. Well, and that's that How many tool. meetings could you cut down? Yeah. I mean, most of my job in my firm was answering questions from new employees about how to do something because they couldn't find it in the documentation in our wiki, right? So imagine if they could just chat with a bot, Blake bot, and it gives them the answer. And it just comes from my personal... Of course, you know, the problem is you still got to document your processes, which most firms don't do. Most firms have zero documentation. It's all in your head. So we're still going to have to get over that hump. Maybe the AI can help write our documentation. Imagine if you could just get interviewed by an AI about how you run your firm. Like David, the way I was doing it with with our ad placements, right? We have a, we have a, we use process street here at the cloud accounting podcast to do all the checklist for all our episodes. And it's long now. It's like, I don't know, dozens and dozens of checklist items. And in dozens, many ways, I think we're, we're, we're pushing hundreds. Yeah. In many ways, <laughs> it's, it's dynamic. It's, it's dynamic, it's dynamic it's based on the show. It's dynamic based on if we have a guest, you know, do we get the guest release form? Like get the guest info, send the reminder, all this stuff. It's really the same thing as a closed checklist. Right, it's just a different service that we're doing, and I forgot where I was going with that. But you're talking about the, oh, uh... the the AI could help build those. And actually, we we have um, an example, um, Client Hub. They just added an AI feature where you can tell it what kind of process you want to build, and it'll add all the checklist items, so you don't have to think about it. It'll give you a starting point. I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do payroll for client X, and it'll be like, here's your checklist to do the payroll, essentially. Yeah. And then you go and refine it for your company. And then you use it over and over again. And that's that's really great because that's the blocker I find with most people implementing practice management software is they're starting with a blank slate, and they don't know where to start. Or they're starting with this giant, complicated template that's been provided to them, and that, then that's also overwhelming. So maybe this is a better way to, to keep going. I have an example from Hector Garcia of using... Chat GPT to do financial statement analysis. This one's a little scarier, I think, because it's starting to automate perhaps some of that uh, financial analyst, CFO role, the stuff that you really <laughs> you think. You mean the advisory work the ad- that's going to save accountants? Be, be an advisor. I know, oh, right? Maybe not. Yeah. The, and, well, it's pretty cool. Actually, you could use this right now to do perhaps to help learn how to do advisory work. So check out this video. It's a long one. It's like 22 minutes. So I'm going to skip around a bit. Uh, let's get it going here. In this video, we're going to be using ChatGPT to perform financial analysis based on reports we're creating from QuickBooks Online. So let's take a look at that. So I have QuickBooks Online in front of me. This is a profit and loss for last year by quarter. I'm going to take this report and I'm going to export this into Excel. I'm going to open up that Excel file and I'm simply just going to copy and paste the information from the reports, not the headers, not the footer, just the accounts, the quarters, the amounts. And I'm going to copy that 
and I'm going to paste that into ChatGPT, but I'm going to tell ChatGPT what I'm doing first. So he's just copying and pasting from Excel into ChatGPT. It's yeah. losing all of the Excel formatting, okay? And pause for a second on this too, because when Excel finally, when Microsoft finally rolls out their chat feature and it's just there in Excel, it's life-changing. Like this is going to be, who wants to copy and paste like this? <laughs> Export it from Excel, put you know, copy it from Excel, paste it here. Like that's just busy work for no, yeah. a lot of people. Well, and that's why these plugins Continue. for Excel are going to change all this, right? But this is what yeah. we're doing right now. So, Honest. so here's what he did. Uh, let's see. Mm. Companies. So he puts in the prompt, he pastes in the... Uh, copy and paste that into it. And I'm just going to say, I'm not even going to tell it what it is. I'm just going to copy and paste and it should start um, doing the analysis. Now I'm going to stop it for a second because it just went on and started doing the analysis. I'm going to tell it specifically what I want. Let me zoom in a little bit. And for the listeners, he basically pasted this data in and it's just the account number, the account name, and then four numbers. Yeah, and then it, the next line, account number, name, and then four numbers. Like, there's no dollar sign, or there's a dollar sign on some things, but in general, you don't know what these columns are, what this means. Well, I think it's um, got the so tabs, the lower lines. It's got tabs yeah. in between the numbers, and so tabs. ChatGPT is smart enough to interpret that and understand this was actually originally from Excel or in some sort of you know table spreadsheet format. So anyway, now Hector's going to ask some questions. First, talk to me about my profit margins. So I'm just going to go step by step and have it give me different pieces of information. So now it's going to start telling me information about my profit margins. So it's calculating the profit margins for each quarter. Okay, it's telling me how it's calculating the numbers, actually breaking it down for me. And then it's giving me sort of an overall analysis. Okay. And the analysis is, you know, as you can see, the company had negative profit margins in Q1 and Q2, which means it was operating at a loss during those quarters. However, in Q3 and Q4, the company had positive profit margins of 52% and 22% respectively. For the year as a whole, the company's profit margin was 6%. Now, that's not that mind-blowing, right? I mean, hey, I can look at a report and see that. Not a big deal. But then Hector starts asking, like, is this good for a construction company? Like, what should my profit margin be? Good. Let, let's just say, um, take the whole year. Now he's doing a comparison. I want to skip to the part where he does the, uh, here we go. Okay. Yeah, take the whole year and compare the expenses versus the industry average. That's what okay. he asks. Now he's going to say, um, based on data from SageWorks, whatever that is, I guess it's a company that collects uh, data, uh, we're going to do an analysis. So it says that, that SageWorks says that the average net profit for a construction company is 7.9%, which is slightly higher than mine, which was 6.22%. Uh, okay, so worth noting that, you know, things vary. Okay, good. Uh, in terms of expenses, it's breaking down what my largest company expenses are. And then it says, okay, this is kind of difficult to compare. Okay, that's fine. So Hector goes on for another, you know, 20 minutes or so doing this financial statement analysis with this PNL and it's pretty good. And this is ChatGPT4. Imagine five, imagine six, imagine seven when it's trained on financial statements, which I don't think it's been trained on yet. And when it's trained on all this comparative data, all of this industry averages and all that stuff, right? I don't know. I, I could see I could see financial statement analysis being impacted heavily by this. And you could, you could do this. You could do the math that's being done here. You could 
quickly Google, hey, what is the gro- uh, growth rate for a construction company? You could go find that. You could do all of this. The real benefit here is the speed again, mm-hmm. right? Like, like you're starting out, you put it in, and you ask the question that you actually want the answer to instead of asking the question, like, well, now I got to go get eight more data points to come up with the answer. Right. Yeah, all the Google searches you'd have to do, it's just doing them, essentially. Or it's got the data already in its model. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Anita Coimor, one of the founders of LiveFlow, was telling me about a small business owner who was complaining that his accountant didn't do any cash flow projections with him, causing his business to take an unwanted loan just to keep the doors open. I wanted to learn more and understand from this business owner about what his accountant did or didn't do for him, so I attempted to set up a Zoom call with him. This was his reply, and I quote, I would be happy to review this further, but at a later time. Due to our cash flow problems, the problems are already here, and I have to solve this crisis before I can plan, unfortunately. End quote. It makes me wonder how many other small businesses are currently struggling with cash flow crisis and their accountants aren't helping them. If you're not helping your clients with cash flow, stop what you're doing and go sign up for LiveFlow right now. Grab one of the LiveFlow cash flow forecast templates and connect your client's QuickBooks online data. You and the client will be able to see real-time money movements, have important cash flow conversations, and make impactful business decisions quicker rather than later. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. So Eric, are you using ChatGPT? Yeah, in your firm with clients? Not with clients, more an an internal processes thing. I have enough other software and apps that make things so efficient that they, like, I don't need things written in words for my clients. My clients don't want to read words. Um, So I think from that interaction, it's not helpful for me. Where I find it extremely helpful is where... I get hung up personally on like words, like staring at the blank sheet in my own, like because my own skill set is so numbers focused. Sometimes it's like sitting in front of a blank cursor and you're like, well, shoot, I don't know how to, I don't even know how to write this intro to a podcast. And I ask ChatGPT, like, hey, write an intro for this podcast talking about XYZ or ask people to leave a review. And it, and it spits out something in 10 seconds that would have like, like, I know this sounds dumb, but it would have had me scratching my head for like 10 minutes because I'm like, oh, how do I word this? I don't know how. And ChatGPT took, you know, gave me back nine yeah. minutes. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you wanted to write emails to your clients, like analyzing their financial statements, though, like, wouldn't that, do you think that would add value? Like, if you sent them the financial statements and it had like this nice personalized email that explained what was going on, would they? I don't think they would read them. My clients wouldn't read them. Yeah, I, I, agree. I mean, yeah, it's not. But they, I, if you give them a prompt and they could ask that next question, is this good growth for my company? And it could answer that and you don't have to answer that. Right. If you could take this with their take their books and put a prompt in front of it. Which Let them chat with their books. Kind of kind of conceptualized showed this seven years ago. Quickbooks Connect. Right. And it just didn't really work great then. Mm-hmm. It, it was more like Alexa and less like this. Where I found. I did this two weeks ago with ChatGPT. I, for my own firm personally, had to draft up a an accountable plan. And I was like, 
I'm sure I can find a template somewhere. But then I was like, I'm sure ChatGPT will give me a template. And so I, you know, typed up S Corp accountable plan for this company based on IRS guidelines. And that thing spit it out in 10 seconds and I was done. That's great. I mean, I, I added one line in there because I wanted to, they didn't have something on mileage and yeah. everything else. And cause I know the IRS guidance, I know it, that it was right or wrong. I just right. didn't know the words I wanted to format it in, um, 10, 10 seconds and I was done, which would have taken me, you know, an hour of doing the research of how should I word this so that it sounds appropriate. And that if I get audited, somebody's going to say, yeah, you didn't jack this up, you know? Yeah. What a great example. 10 seconds saved you an hour. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Then I got really curious and I was like, can you write an operating or what's it called? A operating agreement for an LLC. And then I just started like mm-hmm. trying to see what it could do from like a legal verbiage standpoint. And it did not disappoint in any of my experiments. I mean, think about it, right? Operating agreements across all LLCs are probably so similar. Like, mm-hmm. like not, you know, it's, it's like the DNA of the human species, right? It's 99.9% the same. And then there's this one little change. And if you can get the AI to write the stuff that's all the same, this is like the next generation of rocket lawyer, right? Which I've, yeah. you know, have, if you ever use that, right, you go through this little questionnaire and then it fills in the blanks in the document. But this mm-hmm. is like next level to that. Well, yeah, because I didn't have to go through the 20, I have done that. You don't, yeah. you have to go through 20 screens and 75% of them don't apply to you. So I can say, I'm an S Corp. My name is blah, blah, blah. And this is what I care about. Make it for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be the other way too, where because a lot of times you get these documents that have tons of stuff. A lot of it's boilerplate contract stuff. And you could feed that in and be like, what are the three things, or what's in this that is specific to me that I need to pay attention to in this contract? That that is an outlier, and then you before you sign the contract because mm-hmm. you know nobody's reading these contracts that are sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety pages long. Maybe, maybe we can create an AI that reads the terms of service that we're all agreeing to when we sign up for apps <laughs> and tells us if we need to watch out for something because nobody's that's actually, doing yeah, it. Yeah, or you just feed the terms of service through some sort of other service, and it that's genius. Actually, that's a product people might pay for. Yeah, I, I, would they pay for it though? Because they're already clicking. Except that's true. They Without reading it. And then you'd have a whole terms of service in the beginning of yours to use your tool anyway. So it defeats the whole permits. Hey, can we talk about the EY breakup a little bit? A little, yeah, let's jump a little schadenfreude, if you will. Uh, EY confronts slowing growth after breakup deal fails. The Wall Street Journal has been really enjoying this, covering this failure. I imagine because everybody in the world of the big four and finance and anyone who works with big four auditors is in enjoying this story. I don't really care. I think it's stupid. I don't think the breakup ever was going to change anything anyway. It's just a money grab, you know, this and, whole private equity thing. And to rewind, Blake, if, if just the history on this, if I, if I remember, I was about this before, it's going to be a global split, but it was the U.S. partners that have pushed back and kind of nuked this deal. Is that yeah. And correct? Specifically, okay. the U.S. audit partners on the audit steering partners. committee who nuked the deal. Yeah. And why would they do that? Hmm, maybe it's because this lucrative consulting money actually does impair their independence and they want that money, right? Uh, but of course, they'll never admit it. So the thing that made me want to talk about this again on the show is just this crazy number, $600 million. So EY itself is saying that the breakup 
attempt cost $600 million. And I'm trying to think in my head, how the heck does it cost $600 million? Did they pay consultants to help them? I guess. I mean, doesn't EY do this kind of work internally? Yeah, David, you've got your hand raised, I see. (laughs) They figured out their billable hour for all the meetings they had about it, and they're they're booking it to that. And that's apparently uh, the the story. Like something like three hundred million of that six hundred million is just timesheet data. It's not cash. And I'm not sure. Like then then that leaves three hundred million of cash or something like that. Which I'm like, how did they pay three hundred? Who did they pay three hundred million dollars in cash to? Like doesn't make any sense either. I feel like all of this is just like made up. You know, insanity timesheet data. And you know, you've got all these partners. You've got all these high-level people booking time to Project Everest, which is what they called their breakup plan. And they said, I think the, the reason we know that is because they said $400 million was like projects they didn't do. So they were also busy working on this that they didn't do other work or something like that. But none of it is it's cat. in a footnote. It's in a footnote somewhere, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. It kind of like, I think to me... Shows, so are they going to try to put this $600 million on their own books as like a incurred expense for this deal or lack of deal? I don't know. Well, so, so yeah, it has nothing to do with cash. I don't think it has anything to do with cash. It's all just like internal accounting stuff. And I think like the people who work at the high level at the big four are so in this imaginary world that has nothing to do with reality that they actually believe that they spent $600 million on this project because they don't understand the difference between cash and gap. So so this is probably going to be more of a cost accounting thing where it's like, well, I don't want my, I don't want that number on my teams. Yeah, like exactly. My team wasted hours. That needs to go against some other department here at EY. Right. Think about it this way. It's like, it's like a bunch of people at your firm build time on a project where the client never paid and left. And now you've got to like deal with like who who internally pays for that at the firm. The, I think so that's this what's could going actually on. cause the breakup. They might they might break into like fifty pieces. Uh, it's just tons of arguments over this money could actually cause the breakup. I don't know, but uh, one of the quotes that stuck out was, um, "We need to do a much better job." Dot 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 in billing every hour we can get our hands on. <laughs> So are they saying the six hundred million was the opportunity cost of work they didn't get because they were messing around trying to figure out if if this would work? I'm not sure if six hundred is the right number because there was another number like four hundred million was work they didn't take on or projects they didn't do. It's basically hundreds of millions, and we're not sure what it is really. Like it's not clear from the reporting, but yeah. What's what's the purpose of sharing the number? Are we bragging? Are we proud? What what's the point? Are we sad? Like send us a gift? What's the point? I don't know if they meant to share that number. If that was something <laughs> the reporters like dug up in their investigation, but it's like that's what's been floating around on all of their internal webinars. That's what they're talking about internally. Is they're talking about these hundreds of millions of dollars that they spent on this deal, and I just have a hard time believing they spent any money. I mean, how much money could they have spent on external consultants when they themselves do all this M&A stuff internally? Why would they go hire somebody else to do this? <laughs> they didn't write a check to KPMG. Hey, we need your consulting. Yeah, because ironically, they wanted an independent opinion. <laughs> right. Did they, who, did, who did they pay the $600 million to? I, I, it doesn't make sense. Did they pay it to banks? Did they pay it? Like, that doesn't make sense. They would pay the banks when they do the deal, right? Like, 
it doesn't make sense. It's an, it's, it's an it's, internal it's, charge code. It's all an internal charge code. This is people who are looking at their timesheets that have been doing timesheets for so long that they don't understand that timesheets aren't real. That's my theory. And so they're cutting uh, 5% of their workforce to make up for it. They're 5% <laughs> of their U.S. workforce is getting axed. A little bit insane. Yeah, it says the $600 million of total cost of the deal, about half of which are internal, are offset by some $400 million of savings from projects that were deferred because of the planned split, according to executives. Like, how do you, wait, how do you save $400 million by deferring projects? Right? Like, Is that Gap or FASB? That's all I got on EY. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. One thing we haven't talked about yet is how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firms. For starters, LiveFlow has amazing customer support. They offer instant help 24-7 from real humans via chat, or if you prefer, you can schedule a Zoom meeting, choose to call them, or even email the founders directly. LiveFlow has a library of plug-and-play templates such as consolidated P&L and flash reports to enable and scale across your clients in a snap. They also have dozens of blog posts from other LiveFlow users where they share their best practices and they even share their Google Sheets. So you can just copy them and start using their best practices in your firm instantly. In my opinion, this is what really sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps, this ability to build, share, and scale on each other's work. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-B-E-F-L-O-W. We got listener mail, David. Shall we do a voicemail? Yeah, jump in. Okay, so this came from Donna Bordeaux. Hi, Blake and David. Yesterday I visited the University of South Carolina with my son, who will be attending there in the fall. We visited the School of Business and got to tour the classrooms and speak with some students. As we got started, our tour guide asked all of the people in attendance what their majors would be. She asked them to raise their hand if they were interested in finance, real estate, supply chain management, risk management, accounting, international business, or marketing. When she asked about the accounting, there were no students on the tour who were interested in majoring in accounting. Most were interested in international business or management or marketing. Our tour guide said she started off majoring in accounting and she is in the spring session of her freshman year in college. She has already switched her major to international business with a concentration in economics. She said she had her first financial accounting class and it was very difficult and she realized it wasn't for her. She showed us the classroom where she had that class. It was one of the largest classrooms that they use for up to 500 students in a lecture style hall. She said the accounting class was very confusing and she had a lot of tutoring that she had to do just to get through the class as it was required for all business majors. I can't imagine how you would teach to 300 students in that large of a setting for basic accounting class. Toward the end of our tour, we visited a classroom where a teacher had just finished teaching. She said the class was management science where they studied Excel and Microsoft Access. She told everyone on the tour that they should make sure they bought a PC and not a Mac because Access doesn't even run on a Mac and Excel has a different version on the Mac. 
She said they would need to use a PC in her class, but if you didn't have one, you could borrow one. Now, my son is already very concerned about going to college for business, and he has come to think that it's not really necessary these days. He's convinced that most business professors haven't ever been successfully working in industry or even started their own companies, which is his goal. After the remark about the Mac computers and using Access, my son gave me that look. He also asked me, what in the world is Microsoft Access? <laughs> I explained that it was a database software in the 1990s. It was kind of like an early version of Airtable. We looked up Access on the way home because I wasn't even sure it still existed. It was originally designed in 1992 and Microsoft tried to discontinue it in 2018, but really left their desktop version still open. So our colleges think this is the best thing that our students need to know? They want to teach a 30-year-old database program for our future of accounting? That says a lot about what the problems are with our current education system. I heard no mention of using an accounting software app like QuickBooks or Xero. Even QuickBooks is over 30 years old. Surely we could use something that could be actually used by the students, even if they weren't accountants, but involved in a business at some level. I know there's a lot of controversy about the 150 hours to become a CPA, but I feel like the problem is much deeper than that. It's not the hours that's turning them off, but what we're teaching kids in college about accounting. I'm going to date myself, but I've been a CPA for almost 30 years now, and I'm far more excited about the technology that exists today than I ever have in being a CPA. Yet our colleges have turned the accounting curriculum into a boring pencil and paper society with adding machines probably still on the desk. I sure hope not, but I wouldn't be surprised. We've got to do something about our educational system to offer current education to students to succeed. I feel that many students are succeeding now despite their college education in accounting. I'm hopeful that our industry makes changes, but I'm sad to say I don't really see this happening in my lifetime. I hope they'll prove me wrong. Thank you, Donna, for that very thoughtful voicemail. And what a story. So good. What a story, so, right? So good. And hopefully we can amplify that. It's so good. And it's a shame that accounting is used as the weeder classes to weed people out of business school. Yeah. The way that it, it's purposely not taught well in a horrible environment. It, it, it's, it's sad that accounting is the tool they use to whip people down. Yeah. That's a great point. It's like the, uh, for the med students, they have to take, um, biochem, biochem. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or organic chemistry. Yeah. Organic. That's, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably like hurts the organic chemistry department. <laughs> Did either of you have accounting in high school offered? No. I went to a private Catholic school. We were kind of small, so we didn't have a lot of... No, but I had a teacher that showed me Excel, and that's how mm. I wound up in this industry, probably. Really? Completely. Yeah. I didn't know teacher that teacher showed story. me Excel early, early days. What was the context um, you know, of 91. that? 91. Uh, I, uh, I was a junior, I think, in like class with seniors, and then the last three days of school, the seniors are all like not really in school anymore. And so it's just me in the classroom by myself and uh, the math teacher, I mean, it might have been Trig, I don't know, she showed me Excel. And like, I was like, oh, this is genius. 
Like, no, I saw the I saw the brilliance of it, um, but it's it's actually good that you talk about this, Eric, because I have an article and I just sent you a link to a website, Blake Outlier dot org. Mm-hmm. So the Deloitte Foundation, and this goes back to our conversation, Blake, with um, Dr. J- uh, Josh McCown. Was it Troy State? Troy University. University. Yep. Yeah. And I asked, I was like, why can't people, why can't students take advanced placement tests and get credit for accounting in high school, which is what Erica just asked us, basically. Apparently now you can. Deloitte Foundation, Urban Assembly, and Outlier.org, they just partnered together to do four-credit online college courses and kicked off an enrollment pilot in New York City. And so starting this fall, public high school juniors and seniors can take financial accounting and earn three college credits to the University of Pittsburgh and then transfer it later on to the college of their choice. And so Outlier, this is just a way to find affordable college. So those of you who knew need to do the extra 30 hours, you could go to outlier.org and you could help find places that are providing either education for free or super, super reduced prices. And the goal of it is to inspire more students to get into accounting, to give them a positive accounting experience at an earlier age. Yeah, that's 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 nice. Well, this gives me the opportunity to bring up an article that I have been holding on to, and that is AI can save education from itself. This is actually a, an opinion piece on the Wall Street Journal, and occasionally the Wall Street Journal has excellent opinion pieces. I'd say like one in 20 these days. And this is a great one, and it's so relevant given what Donna experienced with her son. The subhead is, technology such as ChatGPT threatens only the information-centric type of schooling, which has become obsolete. And this is my main complaint about accounting education, is that it is about transmitting information into your brain and then you regurgitating it in an exam or doing some sort of application of it, but not a lot of analysis, not a lot of thought, not teaching students to ask questions. And so the authors- And amazingly though, Blake, you pushed through and still got your degree. This forced me to quit school. Like I couldn't deal with it. Like, yeah. I, and this is pre-internet kind of a little bit. I remember geography class and they gave us this huge chart, paper chart, and it was all the countries and all this data about each country. And then you'd get an exam and be like, what is the birth replacement rate for Uganda? And then if you didn't know it by heart off that chart, you would fail the test. Mm-hmm. I was like, this doesn't make any sense in the world we're now in, right? Now, to be fair, like there's a lot of great educators out there. We're not in the 1800s when people were just saying, you know, memorize these facts, repeat these facts. But we haven't come really that far, if you think about it. Uh, now we might be learning rules and then applying them to a specific situation. But that's exactly the sort of thing that ChatGPT is going to be doing real soon. As we talked about, it'll be looking at a set of financial statements and writing footnotes based on the information in the financial statements. So teaching people how to do that or spending a lot of time on teaching them how to do that doesn't make a lot of sense. And the authors of this article argue that we need to be teaching people how to ask questions, right? We need to teach them. Here's the um, last paragraph. Unless schools can address the strategic reasons for learning and provide an education that trains students in how to use the tools of information, they will inevitably be left behind by rapid innovation and change. They must remember that the value created by education isn't a head full of facts. It's a person with the skill to use those facts with the tools available to magnify his effect in the world. AI is best seen as another of those tools, which when used strategically can unleash student learning and performance in ways not yet seen. And of course, this comes amidst school districts in LA and New York banning ChatGPT, just the way that they banned calculators when those first came out, right? So 
I think accounting education is in for a real challenge. Like that is what's going to get disrupted by chat GPT, especially because I can educate myself now in a lot of ways. Right. So, so there's all those lists of careers that are going to be disrupted by chat GPT and AI. Should the top of that list then probably be traditional education institutions and the professors that work there? I think so. And they're not though. And I wonder if that's because most of these studies are being conducted by people who are tenured professors at educational institutions. <laughs> Could that be it? Could be. Hey, um, we got a few more moments left. I got 40 seconds on the IRS. All right, do it. So the IRS, you know, it's the end of the tax season. And there's some kudos they should get. They've, they've made some improvements because of the money they got from the Inflation Reduction Act. So they've answered uh, more than 6.5 million taxpayer calls this year. And basically... Compared to the same period uh, in 2022, that's 2.4 million more calls they took. So pretty big improvement. It's almost a 20% improvement. I saw the, a little bit more. the wait times have gone way down. I mean, that's even- what I was yeah, so ask. From 27 minutes to four minutes, which For how is many? huge. Four? Four minutes. Um, they re- achieved 87% level of service versus last year's goal, or the goal was 85%. They, and then they served more than 100,000 taxpayers in person, and they've digitized 80 times more returns than in 2022. Now, we know the bar was low in 2022, but hey, congratulations, IRS. Like, you're, you're, you're improving. Every, it affects all our listeners. Anybody has to interact with the IRS, this is a big deal. Yep. My, my dad, uh, love my dad. He won't listen to this, but shout out to you, dad, <laughs> that he still sends in his paper tax return, refuses to use the internet for his tax. And um, would check on it every single day after he sent it in and gave me a up-to-the-minute report of how quickly the IRS was responding to his paper tax return. <laughs> and he, he, yeah, so it he was very good system. from his standard, which, you know, is golden. Well, so this must be why CPA Trendline's busy season barometer is vastly improved over previous years. of respondents to this survey said that this tax season was much better than last year, so about one in five. And then 41% said somewhat better. So add those two together and you get almost 60% saying that their busy season was better than last year. 22% said the same. And only 19% experienced a worse busy season. What are you hearing in, in, in your peer groups? Do you think that's true? Um, I don't, you know, I, I mean, the problem is Twitter, like all the angst is everywhere on Twitter. So, mm-hmm. so it's hard to say like online, are people having a better time? But I mean, I, I just, yeah, I would say like in the, in the private Slack groups I'm in, I mean, the last few years have just been ridiculous, right? I mean, yeah. just absurd. I mean, Erica, you keep your client list nice and trim right? So that you can mm-hmm. be on vacation all the time. Like, but it, <laughs> it must sure. be better for you, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what I'm like, I know the lack of changes that were moving as fast as tax season was going, the removal of that for the most part, I think helped people a ton. Now that kept the tax season in its normal time frame, which is a different, um, it's a different animal all of its own, but I mean, it's, yeah, I also had, it's interesting. I had clients who um, were like, oh, they, they put us on extension. Now they had a complicated 
uh, return. They had, you know, an escort plus their uh, personal return. And he's like, oh, they extended us. What can we do next year? We don't want to extend. And I think there's this, like, I had to explain to him, like, there's nothing wrong with an extension. You paid. We have all your information. We literally just need to press the button in two weeks. Like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And there's this assumption that, like, ah, we didn't do it in time and somebody's going to slap me on the wrist. And I'm like, that's fine. It's an arbitrary date that allows for an extension. And I think in the past two years, we've been so uh, accustomed, taxpayers and accountants, to extend that deadline that this year kind of, I think it like might have taken us aback. I don't yeah. usually file an extension. Oh, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. I think I, I heard somebody somewhere who said that we advise all our clients when they sign up with us, they are getting extended. Everybody mm -hmm. gets extended. Now, I've heard a couple, couple right? stories like that too. We might file it before the deadline, but you are by default getting extended. And I mm -hmm. don't understand why why not just do that with everybody. Like send out an email to all your clients and say, this, this is how it's going to work from now on. If there are in fact so many clients and we need to fire them, this is a good way to get rid of the ones you don't want to work with. Yeah, Spread the work extensions out. extensions for everybody. And then you just say, and then you're just in order. And then we just start working on them. Everybody else will get done. I guess the, the reason people don't want to do that is because, you know, calculating the tax liability is like a significant percentage of the work just to do the return. So then the argument is just mm -hmm. do the return before the deadline, right? Yeah, but if they're second year clients and, you know, the safe harbors are right, then even that doesn't matter. Just extend them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there are just some psychological barriers in our profession that like with EY and their stupid internal cost accounting stuff, same thing with extensions, same thing with subscription pricing. Like firms saying, oh, I, you know, pushing back on the idea of charging before you file the return. Like there's this idea that I don't, I don't bill a client until I file the return because psychologically I like that because now I've earned the money. And Who I'm, likes that? Oh, the accountant I've, likes that? Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually had people say this to me that, that they, they don't want to take the fee before they've filed the return. And it's because mm -hmm. they have linked the return itself with the fee in their brain. Filing the return mm -hmm. equals I earn the fee. There's some deep psychological wealth building issues there when we're like, when we tie our efforts to how much we can charge for something and that we have to do something to earn something else as yeah. opposed to, and this is why we get so hung up on hourly billing, but yeah. I did so I did a very few handful of returns, nothing like most people listening to this. Everybody paid me in November. I said, if you want me to do your return, pay me in November. And then just out of curiosity, last week I sent out a follow-up survey. And then one of the questions was, do you like paying upfront or afterwards? Do you like knowing how much it's going to cost beforehand or change, being charged based on how much work it took me? And Everybody loved being paid up or paying up front, and everybody loved knowing the cost ahead of time. And I got my money I, months ahead of time. I, I can That's see psychology as a customer how it's a better experience if you, if yeah. you pay up front. Yeah. You pay up front in November. Like that money's, you wrote the check, it's done. Now you're either going to have a tax bill or a tax refund. Mm -hmm. And if you have a tax bill, you're like, oh, I have to pay that and I still have to pay the accountant. And if mm -hmm. you have a refund, it's like, oh, I have to give some of that to the accountant. So you're right. Keeping those as two separate things is probably mm -hmm. a, a better experience mentally for the clients. And here's my advice if you want to switch to that, right? Like I feel like a lot of times the challenge is switching clients. This is the perfect time of year to do it is 
you know, draft up an email to all your clients using ChatGPT, using ChatGPT, <laughs> and explain to them that you are switching from billing after the return is, you know, filed to a subscription. And the way it's going to start is you're going to collect fifty percent in October, and you're going to collect fifty percent in April, and that is no longer linked to the tax return being filed. Uh, it'll get filed when it gets filed, but as long as you are a client, I'm going to answer your questions, I'm going to do your returns, all that stuff, right? And now you've broken it into two chunks. You're collecting essentially 50% up front and 50% on delivery, approximately. And that's Why one cut of, it in half? What, why not just get the whole thing up front? Yeah. Oh, well, this is, to, this is if you're concerned that your clients oh. will come back and be really unhappy and all that stuff. So I'm trying to... I'm trying to bridge the gap for the people who are only, mm. you know, doing in arrears right now. And this is what we did. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because this is what we did at HPC, which is the firm that bought my firm. And it worked great for the tax folks. The, it worked great for the returns. Like the, the bookkeeping we did monthly. And I would say if you're also doing bookkeeping for clients, just roll the tax return into that monthly fee. We might as well. Absolutely. Right. The the best part of having my few tax clients pay up front was they're so used to the industry not doing that that they asked me for the bill after I filed their return again. Like they're like, Great, how much do we owe you? I was like, You can you, pay me twice if you can want. Can I pay you? Yeah. You want to pay again? Because <laughs> you are paying back then. I accept tips. That's your opportunity to sell next year's return at a mm -hmm. slightly bit higher price. Yeah. Hey, yeah. um, I have something fun just to take us out here. Th yeah. This is a well, David. You know how we were talking about crazy ads during the Super Bowl, TurboTax ads. Well, it turns out that in Australia, the TurboTax of Australia is MYOB, and Heather Smith, our Australian correspondent, sent me this advertisement that MYOB released somewhat recently. It's nuts, and uh, I just want I want to play it for you guys to take us out here. So MYOB is like the QuickBooks desktop of Australia. So a woman is seated in a theater. Problems. All businesses have them. But what if I told you there was a solution and all you need to unlock it is to M-Y-O believe in a platform that ignites potential with the power of a thousand suns and obliterates doubt like a fearless cassowary. Unbelievable? Listen to this guy. Believing turned my small business into a medium business. And I'm a strudel mogul. <laughs> Downsize your worries 1,200% and optimize your potential by infinity! And MYO Believe. MYO Believe, business management platform. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit, almost. <laughs> Phil says, I hope this came out on April 1st as a joke. Maybe Heather's pranking us, but I, I think this is real. Well, thanks everyone for joining us live. A reminder to our listeners that you can join us live. Go to cloudaccountingpodcast.com, subscribe to our email list. I think the subscribe is at the bottom, David. Is that right? There's like, you can put in your email, subscribe. Yes, you can put in your email list um, there. You can follow us on YouTube and get notified when we go live. Um, you can email us. Email us your voicemails like Donna did. We are cloudaccountingpodcast at earmarkcpe.com. And Erica, where can the good folks of 
the Cloud Accounting Podcast audience follow you online? Yeah, they can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find there, Erica Goody CPA. And then I also hang out on Instagram uh, a lot, but it's far less professional, but just as fun to follow. You're like famous in your town, right? You've got a podcast. You like, you do. You're <laughs> I don't think it's too hard to be famous in my town. I'm in a little rural Idaho. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining so, us. Bye. Oh, go, David. I was saying, we're not going to be live next week because next week we will be attending. It's tax season ended. It's time for conferences. So we're going to Bitwaves conference. Um, it's the uh, Enterprise Digital Assets conference of theirs. So we're doing that on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday, we're going into the pageant retreat. And so we're going to retreat uh, for pageant advisors. We're going to record a live episode physically live. So it won't be streamed next week. We'll have a live audience. Yeah, we Live audience. Maybe I can figure saying. out how to stream it, David. That'd be cool. But probably not. So Don't promise. We'll see you live <laughs> in uh, two weeks. That's our promise. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. ClientHub automatically sends your clients a task for each expense or deposit marked as uncategorized in QuickBooks. Your team will save hours of time and the best part that it's free. Introducing the free ClientHub recategorized plan. ClientHub is bringing the freemium business model to accounting apps. They are so confident that you, your team, and your clients will love the free recategorized plan that will lead you to implement all the features of the award-winning ClientHub into your firm's workflows and communications. Using ClientHub in your workflow is a guaranteed ROI, especially since it is free. To schedule your demo, go to clienthub.app. That's clienthub.app. Is it possible to scale your firm while significantly reducing your workload so you can spend more time with your family? That's what Marie Phillips did when she tripled the revenues of her multi-seven-figure firm thanks to Future Firm Accelerate. Designed for busy firm owners, Future Firm Accelerate gives you the system, training, coaching, and the community you need to systemize your firm so that you can scale it while working less. The program is built around founder and CPA Ryan Lozanis' six-part Future Firm framework, which he used to scale and sell his own firm, Zen Accounting, to a major international organization in just five short years. To learn more and join over 700 other modern firm owners scaling their businesses, go to www. Dot futurefirmaccelerate.com. That's www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. We don't like uncategorized transactions, but we do like cats, and we love Uncat. Thousands of accountants and bookkeepers have switched from sending spreadsheets of uncategorized transactions to their clients every month to using Uncat. It's easy. Uncat syncs with QuickBooks and gets clients' responses back so fast, you can close the books on time, every time. And you're going to love the price. Uncat is just $5 per month per client. And bonus, start a 14-day free trial at Uncat.com, and they'll send you a $5 Starbucks gift card. Get yours at Uncat.com. Are you tired of spending hours manually adjusting your balance sheet and reconciling your accounts every month? Say hello to NetTracker. Automate tedious tasks such as adjustments for depreciation, prepaid expenses, accruals, and deferred revenue. With just a few clicks, selected balance sheet accounts are updated and reconciled. No more stress and hassle every month. NetTracker makes monthly financial reporting a breeze. Try it now with QuickBooks Online, Zero, or Sage Business Cloud and see how much time and energy you can save. www.nettracker.com that's www.nett-tracker.com. 
Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.